Greetings, future fossils. My apologies for the lousy sound on this introduction, but I am hiding behind a bush in an alley in Wichita, Kansas, where I've been spending the Thanksgiving holiday. And admittedly, it is weird to be sitting here with this computer in my lap talking to you. But then again, you know, we're living in an age where the center is everywhere and the circumference is nowhere. Nature and culture have remixed in bizarre and wonderful ways. A huge part of that remix is, in the words of theologian Matthew Fox, the return of the Black Madonna, the movement from the margins to the center of the repressed feminine, the body, nature, all of these things that the modern world abandoned or explicitly subjugated. It's something we're all living with on the daily news now as Hollywood comes apart under the influence of the sexual harassment scandal proliferation. And of course, in what Doug Rushkoff called fractal noia, which is the anxiety that we experience when we are subject to simultaneous news from all over the world. And the commentary makes it to us sometimes even before the story itself. So yes, the Black Madonna, the feminine shadow of our modern society is heavy on my mind lately, especially as today is Black Friday. (laughs) A sort of perversion of the compassionate feminine spirit of gifting that surrounds this Nazarene holiday of Christmas and its uh, bizarre mythologization of our European colonist relations with the indigenous peoples of Turtle Island. Anyway, with all that said, I'm really excited to share this episode with you. This is my buddy Jake Cobrin's episode, an absolutely fantastic artist and someone I've watched come up through the ranks of the visionary art community over the last couple of years as his skills, both creative and interpersonal, have dramatically increased. He's got a lot of cool stuff to say about this, but... Before we begin this episode, I want to thank every new Patreon supporter this week. That's Leslie McDonald, Nar Martinez, Love is the Law, Andrew Waite, Andrew Perrine, and Eben. That's huge. Thank you all so much for contributing to the success of this show and for participating in the community of like minds that believe in the importance of these conversations as a way of cultivating our skills as ancestors in training and empowering ourselves to understand our humble, if vital, role in the evolutionary landscape. If you'd like to contribute to this show and score exclusive patrons-only episodes, catch some excerpts from my book, How to Live in the Future, before they're publicly released, Get all of my new music for free, like the stuff you're hearing. You can go to patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, or just look up Future Fossils podcast on Patreon. We're only about 20 more subscribers. That's a two or a $5 subscription. 
away from reaching the goal for the year. And that would be just a totally wonderful thing to fulfill my New Year's resolution for 2017. Anyway, I hope you're all weathering the holiday madness. I love you. Enjoy this episode. Right on, dude. I'm glad to have you on the show. Yeah, man. Really glad to be here. So the last time that we hung out, and I think this is where I want to pick it up because of the just the sort of air of things going around right now. I'm not sure exactly when this episode will be posted, um, but the last time we hung out, and this is a sort of evergreen or perennial topic, I think, we were talking about you were handing out, we were at Burning Man and you were talking about you had these these stickers of my, one of my favorite paintings of yours which is the Black Madonna and we were mm-hmm. we were discussing our attraction to and fascination by and like insistence on the significance of this archetype uh of the you know the like Mary Magdalene archetype or the you know the repressed shadow form of the virgin mother and um, i'm really curious why you felt the desire to take the time to paint such an elaborate piece uh of this this uh this image and like what that has to do with the rest of your life and and why you feel like you know it's it's a uh it's like potent or relevant right now like at this moment yeah well it's funny because when i was creating that piece i don't think it was really like a like a firm concept on my mind that i was trying to express and the way that i work typically i find myself being surprised by the actual content of my artwork so in the case of that piece you know like there were it was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different people in my life notably like my ex-girlfriend magdalena and then this uh friend of mine uh muse who ended up actually musing for that piece so it's kind of interesting like it started off just as like a little like you know you know like muse and i were just hanging out and it was kind of like a bonding experience for me to like draw her portrait what her name is and muse her name her name's actually muse yeah well that's pretty straightforward Okay. yeah so you know yeah like why beat around the bush right so yeah we were just hanging out and i like drew her portrait and um then i abandoned it for a while it was just sitting on my hard drive and then i sort of picked it up to to like elaborate upon it and i just kind of like i work from a very intuitive place so all these kinds of elements just based on my own experiences in that time were just sort of like floating around my mind and then they got kind of like imposed onto the uh the piece for it to to be realized into what it is um and then it wasn't until after it was finished that i kind of like i didn't have a title for it for a while and then i then the title black madonna just kind of came to me and sort of my understanding of what the image represents like was clarified through my own reflection onto it and yeah it's i mean i don't know what it is that i have a very strong attraction to that particular archetype which is kind of like a yeah like a like a like the wounded shadow of the feminine in a way but it's also this sort of like sinner saint like marriage of like holy and 
profane kind of thing um, that that often attracts me. And I don't know if it's because like I almost like pride myself on my ability to accept people and their flaws and like my own shadows and things like that as well. And so I'm often attracted to people that have this very pronounced like shadow aspect to them. Um, and I think that that piece as a whole in terms of where we're at kind of because we're at this place where the feminine has been really repressed and there's been this, uh, you know, kind of patriarchal dominance. So there's a lot of wounds um, to the feminine as a result of that. And so as the feminine like rises back to its, its kind of uh, power, there's a lot of like friction there. And as that friction builds that, that shadow um, is more pronounced but it's kind of like um, understanding that and seeing that and seeing it for what it is and, and realizing that it's also sacred. And, um, you know, our conceptions of what is considered holy as something that is only light is kind of false. And I think that it kind of urges us to see the beauty and the holiness of, of our darkness as well. Totally. Well, I mean, I, I, something about this because I want to, I want the like performative acrobatics of looping that notion of the non-duality of sacred and profane into the like temporal aspect of this, and how you know it seems like largely a matter of perspective, uh, like an interpretive uh, decision <laughs> or something that we have these two competing myths about the world and one is that it it was perfect or you know sacred or, or there was a golden age that's like a lost yesterday you know we've we've been ejected from the garden and everything's just falling downhill and you know going to shit and that's very i mean it's i think it's there's an unusual uh like similarity or isomorphism between that biblical mythology and then also the the way that we talk about the big bang and the universe being an you know an entropic decay emerging from this single point of perfect symmetry and then the the other myth is that it's you know it started from nothing that it was you know just a mess of crap and that it's clawing its way up into greater and greater perfection and it seems like both of these are really partial stories and it seems yeah. like the you know the, the the truth has to contain both of those stories like uh who is it that oh my god i heard this uh the other day somebody said if you have been arguing for more than five minutes chances are both sides are wrong <laughs> so it's like these yeah. these two perspectives that have been at it for you know thousands of years are are like both missing something vital and yeah and so there's something um that seems related to the fact that like you know you talk about it well it wasn't clear to me what this piece was until i was done with it and that there's this thing about interpreting a work of art which i have experienced also that like you get into these spaces and you allow the creativity to 
flow through you and you don't really ask questions and you don't sit there with your editor mind. But then like after the fact, all of this meaning starts to make itself apparent. And it's, it's like the, the actual moment of creativity or novelty or transformation or whatever is beyond the, like the, the reason or, or rationality or, or our ability to make sense of it. And so like, there's something in the creative act itself that is both like Edenic and then also like post-apocalyptic because that's the bracketing within which history and like interpretation occurs. And it's really beyond time in some sense. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I like to look at things kind of, um, from like the, the farthest perspective out, if you will. And like seeing all things that, that realize into this dimension as just ephemeral and temporal and essentially illusory, then it's, it's like light or dark. It's all the same, really. Like it's substrate is, is empty. So, I mean, light and dark, like they exist within, within this physical dimension and you can get like dependent on where your perspective is, you can get caught within it. But then if you stretch your perspective far enough back, you can kind of just see it all as like the dance of, of different, um, experiences, which all like arise and pass, and they're all kind of empty. So I think like, you know, we, we get too like, uh, idealistic about what, our pers- our perspectives of what like right and wrong and good and evil looks like, which are kind of just like conceptual impositions that, um, in the greater scheme of things, like if you look at, um, nature kind of like, they don't have those same impositions, you know, there are like fierce animals that we don't really look up, look at as being evil, um, they may be threatening or frightening, but we don't see them as being inherently evil because that's just kind of how they are, you know. And I think, like, um, for the functioning of our society, that's more of where these kinds of concepts arise to just kind of give us more of like a like a rule book for us to navigate so that we don't fall apart completely. And if everybody was like you know killing each other, then this society would just crumble. But ultimately um you know we have our natures which which you know like when i observe myself sometimes my own nature is a mystery to to me like it's not really something that i choose to be or i i don't choose to see the world in a particular way or choose to act in a particular way it just kind of kind of is and it's like something that i meet fresh every day um and it's kind of like you don't even know what you're going to get sometimes. So understanding that even myself is like something that's alien to me and is something that is a a mystery, then I can't really like judge anyone or anything because it's all like, it's all like puppetry. It's all the dance of this, this great mystery that, you know, we can't really comprehend. And yet you must judge. So that's like, that's, I don't know. There's this thing about the scapegoat, 
you know, um, like Magdalene serves this function to an extent. So, do, you know, Judas serves this function. The actual goat that that these various ancient traditions would like, you know, they'd take a, you know, a demonic possession out of somebody and then like put it in a goat and then... So I didn't know that. But. Yeah, that's where that, that term comes from is like this, funny. the goat gets to suffer the, you know, being the the waste basket of some sort of demon related issue that the tribe is having That's and, hilarious. and it and so like you know i think about that with respect you know you and i were camped with bruce damer mm-hmm. and you know bruce and i had a conversation out at burning man this year about his origins of life research and how he thought that the origin of cell division was from this like these cells or, uh, or like proto cells ejecting waste and that basically that reproduction originally emerged out of a sort of failure to excrete and like an accidental excrescence of self rather than of the trash, you know? So like literally like throwing the baby out with the bathwater and that that's where, so there's this, if that's the case, if that's actually true, then, then, you know this whole issue of the repressed feminine uh you know goes way back because the the connection between sacred in this case immaculate reproduction you know like mitotic cell division and waste and like shit and you know that which we are trying to get rid of are like really really bound up and yeah, so totally. this this issue of judgment in the material realm and like you know the or discretion and like choosing you know it's there's like that it it all started with a sacred failure of to discriminate between self and not self that like led to the you know be be fruitful and multiply kind of a situation i don't know (laughs) yeah what's kind of coming up for me when you talk about this stuff is that i think like the this kind of uh feminine archetype has been vilified because it's a lot of people's like they're projecting their own shadows and blaming it onto that archetype so in the case of the magdalene she was supposedly a prostitute and i think that like the the vilifying of the prostitute is probably more of like probably the people that were doing the vilifying were people that like visited prostitutes themselves and it probably has to do with like their own like shame or or their their own um uh like the disharmony within themselves and their own view of themselves and their own kind of um, disgruntled natures about who they see themselves to be. And they're projecting that onto her, like as if it's her fault that they are engaging with their shadow, but really it's just like their own shadow that they, they feel that way towards. And it's more like they have to resolve that within themselves rather than projecting it onto some sort of external thing, because I think that like the Magdalene represents that like she is like ultimate purity despite her role in, in the physical form. And it kind of teaches us that like, that like all things are inherently pure and it's, 
it's more of like our projection onto that 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 is less than pure or something like that and i think that's why like christ and magdalene had that relationship because the christ saw the magdalene at in its essential purity and saw her as holy despite like whatever her function was in society that may have been like deemed lesser but he saw that for the kind of illusion that it was hmm. so like you you mentioned right before we got on this call that you read this post that i have on my facebook profile which was an excerpt from james hollis's book the eden project uh in search uh, for the magical other or in search of the magical other which is a a jungian psychotherapeutic view of our like the way that we imprint on our our caregivers and then we project these qualities of what makes us feel safe and comfortable out into the world and that the process of individuation the process of like growing up and growing wise is about reclaiming these projections but like the the work of relationship is in this weird way it's like you know i'm so used to hearing from people in the new age community that you know we're all one and that everything is self and yet here we are you know this this the you know james hollis's stance on mature relationships is acknowledging that ultimately even your you know like i've been with my partner for 13 years now which is crazy and yet we don't like she's still full of surprises and i'm still full of surprises and like like remaining sensitive to the mystery is actually i'd say like more true than you know collapsing it all like categorically and but like acknowledging the the radical absolute otherness of this person and that that sort of required in order not only to keep the 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 flames uh going like in order to keep the spark in a long-term relationship with someone romantic or not you know like to remember that they're other to remain a beginner about it but like also that there's like you're saying about you know projecting their own disowned um and repressed elements onto this person that they don't actually know and this is mm-hmm. you know this is like i don't know so like what, you know you mentioned that this this hollis piece was really speaking to you and i'm i'm curious to hear you know more however personal you want to get about it but like i feel like this is a really potent vein of stuff i'm curious what your thoughts are yeah i think that i mean one of the things that really spoke to me with that article was that they were talking about like asking yourself what you feel the partner can give for you and then try to foster that within yourself first so it's like oh i want to be in a relationship so that i feel better about myself it's like well maybe you just really need to work on feeling better for yourself um and not like relying on a partner to do that for you but uh yeah i don't know it's it's interesting because i've also been reading a bit of uh, don miguel ruiz's uh, the mastery of love which is a really beautiful sort of quick read and um i've just in my own life you know i i find myself 
getting caught in my own concepts about people and relationships, like projecting an idea of what a relationship is. And then sometimes being hurt when that relationship changes form or it doesn't really play out by my expectations. And so I'm trying more and more to just embrace this idea of kind of like unconditional love, which means that I can love and accept somebody fully for who they are without needing to project uh, an agenda onto how they relate to me. So I think that the way that a lot of people tend to relate to other people in relationships is like, I, I will love you if you show up for me in a particular way. Like I have this expectation of how I need you to behave for me. And then if they don't do that, people then retract their love almost as like punishment or they get hurt and upset. And it's, you know, like, understanding that people are are wild essentially like people are not are not domesticated by my own expectations and therefore they're going to behave in this in in whatever way they behave in and with which i have no influence over and i have to just be like the container of loving acceptance to that um for whatever they do you know because it it has really like nothing to do with me personally it's just people are are these uh you know vast complex organisms shaped by so many different things and experiences that you know like whatever they do it really has very little to do with me you know and understanding that gives me space to just allow people to kind of behave in whatever way they behave in it reminds me of this week on our anniversary, uh, Lucky Thirteen, I gave Bay a copy of uh, Hakeem Bay's Temporary Autonomous Zone. Oh yeah, I've read parts of that. Yeah, dude. So he's, you know, this whole notion he he lays out this notion of ontological anarchy that even though we can't come up with a utopia that's going to serve everyone forever. And so we're, you know, we're like any kind of notion of social or political perfection is just fleeting, you know, like it's, but it's because the empire that we're all afraid of and trying to like fix or build or what, you know, this, this, this monolithic idea is actually just nonsense that it's like the social ego um, yeah, the ego totally. of the society and it doesn't really exist and the society really is a function of the wilderness you know and that this isn't this isn't i talked about this with uh with hannah yada on the show uh a couple weeks ago that you know this this thing of like you know we have it in this in our minds that it's the city versus the forest you know and that's not to keep dropping books like endlessly but like i just read brian catling's book the vor which is this extraordinary work of, of fantasy that that takes place like in in Africa in between a German kind of colonial city and the the mystical forest and so you have this collision that's like a collision of science fiction and fantasy and of like the the sort of western modern mind and this like deep like african magical forest stuff going on and it's just so beautiful but like it doesn't that's also so very 19th century and like i in a way i feel like as as things speed up and everything gets mixed up more and more by the you know uh, 
international shipping and the internet and stuff that we're at this point where the the forest the city is in the forest and the forest is in the city and they always were and it's like we're starting to see that in each other also as people that we're like mm-hmm. we're like we are like domesticated like horribly so like we are absolutely you know uh the end users of all of these you know clandestine cybernetic control agendas you know facebook determining what news you read just being the most like easy at hand example of that but then at the, on the other hand it's like you know that all of that effort is being poured into control and in our relationships all of this effort is being poured into like trying to get the other person to match your your image of them because we really are just ontologically anarchic you know we really are Mm -hmm. just like these massive these these projects where there isn't there isn't a leader in charge of your the growth of your body you know there isn't like a you don't have like a, a dictator in there telling your blood how to flow. So, <laughs> yeah, I see this come up so much in relationships where it's just like, you know, people, people like build these conceptual boxes that they place their relationships within. And it's, it can be just, I don't know. It can be like, I, like frustrating in a way, I guess. So like, I've, I don't know. I've had a situation recently where like this girl and I just have this like really strong, like intense attraction to each other, but she's like kind of bound within this monogamous relationship with this other person. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's a little annoying, but it's just like, you know, like we both feel this thing that's like we, and, and I feel like in natural, uh, in if in like a kind of unregimented like just natural way like we would just follow that like it's it's just like because it's it it's that's the momentum of where like our life experiences are like leading us but she's like existent within this kind of like conceptual box of like no but I am this with this thing and it's like I don't know it's just like in actuality like you know people are sovereign and also people are are like our actual relationships are formless and we like to build these conceptual walls around our relationships whether they're relationships with our parents or with our partners or friends or whatever and understanding that and in actuality like our lives and our relationships are these like formless like infinite complex things and i would rather exist in that framework than try to like limit myself to conceptual boxes about like the way i i see things and you know like how i project ideas of what my life is and and looks like but isn't isn't this idea of wilderness an idea like isn't this I mean, because this is the thing that I get into, because I I totally am uh, horrible in the exact same way that you are, like, very find it very easy to form connections with people. Fell in love with someone this year who was in a committed relationship. So, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, like, it was a fucking nightmare for everyone because, you know, in my, you know, my image was that this was you know like this was real and true and we both knew it and and she was on the other end asking the same questions like why are you keeping yourself away from this 
you know, like, why are you resisting this? And it was because, you know, we ultimately had two different ideas about, about what it meant to, to be committed to somebody, you know? And like, I ultimately came to the, the point where like, at first I went from being like, Oh, well, you know, this is fine. I really want to meet your boyfriend, you know, like, let's figure this out. Let's all work together and figure this out. And then it became this thing of like, actually this guy sounds like kind of a jerk and this relationship seems like maybe it's kind of abusive even. And like, I'm not okay with this anymore. And at that moment I realized that I was not accepting the totality of her, which doesn't stop at her. It includes like all of these, not only like intentional decisions, but all of these patterns that she's a part of like the quilt that oh, yeah. she's a square in and that like if you know that that really what i was like the part of her that i had fallen in love with if i'm going to be like completely honest and available and like love her completely and unconditionally mm-hmm. that means like loving the fact that she's in this relationship that to me looks super messed up and means that i get i don't get to be with her you know uh-huh. yeah so, totally i mean do you ultimately have to do that yeah, and you know this kind of um, thing that's been grabbing the attention of a lot of people with this kind of like cisgender versus like gender fluid and like um, stuff like that. And I've been kind of like thinking about that. And I was even like joking with her. I was like, "You cis relational, like, <laughs> like fucking, <laughs> like, you know." It's kind of like we put ourselves. It's like we have like we're like cis relational, like cis racial, like you know. It's like whatever we've kind of constructed to be like yes i am this thing and it's like these these uh sort of it, the things that we inherit from society are kind of like our uh our like systemic programs that we operate in so yeah it's like kind of trying to look at just relationships like out of out of any box you know like mm. i think that's kind of like if there's one like sort of like great like psychonaut aspiration it's to be able to ultimately like perceive everything unboxed like outside of any conceptual restrictions and that's also i think um you know an ambition of systems like zen buddhism and and other spiritual practice um but just sort of catching ourselves and reflecting on like what boxes do we have that that we're still um, prisoners within and then trying to to open that up and you know you can still like be in a kind of monogamous uh like sort of relationship with somebody but you don't have to necessarily classify it within that and you don't have to necessarily like put restrictions upon it because in my experience with being in monogamous relationships there's still like jealousy and there's still like hurt and the other person is is uh, you know untamed they can still like behave in ways that might might uh trigger me you know and and i think that people get into those kinds of relationships because they want to um they want to be in this illusion that somehow by being in that kind of relationship they're going to shield themselves from any kind of hurt when it you know like you just can't do that because you know heartbreak is inevitable and and you know we are subject to these crazy floods of emotions that just occur without us really you know having anything to say about it you know yeah so like this you know since you you went here i want to uh i want to ask 
about what you think is going on with with gender identity and stuff right now because this does seem to me not like you're an expert or anything but neither am i and and so at any rate uh it it seems like a topic that's been coming up a lot for different people and in a lot of different ways you know like i feel like this is a year that you know my interest in the black madonna is really um triggered keenly by the fact that i have spent a lot of work um this year and and made a lot of progress in in uh getting more and more intimate with my own psychic feminine this like this thing that actually i mean this is you know way beyond the scope of our conversation but like uh you know this aspect of myself that i first encountered as a haunting back like right after i got out of college and has this this you know sh- this black shrouded female figure that shows up to me in various forms as my own intuitive guidance has shown up to uh, some of my other friends in their dreams and in their visions and stuff as like oh, an, wow. like an extension of me like it's got third party confirmation that this that this is real in some respects and or like you know consensual uh-huh. in some respects and the more and more i i move from like the shadow element of like this shit is haunting my house to like this is me like really feeling it feeling both like feeling from both perspectives at the same time um and not even like in a question and answer format where i'm like asking my intuition as though it is other to me but really like knowing from the perspective of the soul that would answer that question what it is that i am to do and like the more uh-huh. the more i get wrapped up with this this dark feminine soul dimension of my being the more i feel like i've been drawing drawing like really witchy women into my life uh-huh. Yeah, like, it's like I've like witch magnet. God, I love overdrive. this man. This witchy woman. <laughs> so God, it's so good. But it's like, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's just like it seems. And then at the same time, and I don't know if this is. I don't know how related this is, but uh, Nicole, my my partner, has been. You know, she works in a in a job in a man's field. Really, like you know, the uh, woodwork and instrument repair and stuff is like predominantly a man's world. And she, you know, works with power tools and she's like getting more and more comfortable in her masculine all the time. And it seems like I'm, I'm witnessing something happen. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you could take this, I guess, but I guess like I'm just overall, it seems like a lot of people I know are becoming sort of like more, they're like trending towards the alchemical hermaphrodite. Uh yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, is that where has that been sitting in your experience? And like, is that well? Is you that know, it's to your art. I don't know if it's re- related to my art. I feel like my art is just kind of an extension of whatever my state of being is in, in any moment. So, if it's related to myself, it's related to my art as well. But. Um, you know, I, I was on a trip for a minute. I did a lot of, uh, work with ayahuasca when I was living in Bali and had some like, um, some ceremonies that were just like nuclear in their, 
in their their scope you know they were just like the most powerful experiences i've basically ever had and um i was seeing myself in a very different way and i was kind of i i don't know it was i was seeing the myself as the dream that I was like completely this idea of myself as total illusion and that the idea of all of ourselves is total illusion and that we are constantly dreaming ourselves into being by by creating this narrative about ourselves which doesn't really exist Mm -hmm. and so in that space like for a moment actually I was in this this thing about like in gender also is completely an illusion and like you know I've I've been programmed to behave as like a man in society just because of uh these this sort of imposition and during that time period i was really exploring the idea of gender fluidity myself and i was like wearing makeup and i don't know wasn't really identified with any kind of like uh you know i was i wasn't identified with any kind of like gender or gender role you weren't even going by jake I wasn't even going by Jake. It's true. I was, I was Andrik for a while and that was, yeah, Andrik had no gender and like no real like orientation towards any particular, you know, like I just wanted to exist outside of that, like purely to be just like, just to be just, just, just to be without any kind of like grabbing onto an idea. Like I'm a man, therefore I have to behave in this way because I don't like that. Whatever, like the masculine tends to be represented by, like there's certainly aspects of the masculine that I really identify with and I really respect, but what, what is considered like manly, certainly that projection within like American culture, like I don't relate to that at all. And that just makes me go like, ew, you know? Um, so yeah and and like what does that mean i think that we each have there's there's very much of a range that we exist within a masculine feminine range different characteristics that we all have that um and also it fluctuates you know at times i might be more in my masculine at times i might be more in my feminine and also like who's to say that a particular trait is more feminine or more masculine that in and of itself is kind of a, uh, like a, another we're signing roles to those traits, which, which like they just exist as they are. And it's kind of our own conceptual, um, limitations that we place on them to say, okay, well that's masculine. Well, that's feminine, you know? Yeah. But I mean, well, it sort of reminds me, um, I don't know if you saw uh, Rick Tarnas and, and former Future Fossils podcast guest Becca Tarnas speaking at the uh, Eclipse Gathering. Did you catch No. That? I didn't really see many of the talks at the Eclipse Gathering. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot going on. It's like 15 million stages. But yeah. um, they they had a really interesting um discussion because they were talking about the the archetypes of the eclipse and how we have we tend in our culture to think of the sun as masculine and the earth as feminine because so many of our pre-modern traditions refer to them in that way father sky mother earth yeah but or like the, the the moon is lunar because of its association with menstruation but yeah. they were like but you know not necessarily and 
there is absolutely a solar feminine and a lunar masculine. And they were really urging people to contemplate those things and to discover them, to explore them. And like one of my favorite comic books, uh, the wicked and the divine, which is, it plays with mythology in the context of pop music. And like there, the, the gods are rock stars you know, that are like, that descend into human form and become ultra famous for two years and then are like killed. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, there's like, it's an interesting mythos, but like they, they have, um, oh my God, what? Oh no, I'm spacing on her name. The female sun goddess of Japan. Hold on just a second. I gotta, I am so embarrassed about my acumen here. Let's see. How dare you? Sun goddess uh, yes um a Matarasu. i was really close to saying modest yahoo but that is inaccurate <laughs> <laughs> yeah a is so the japanese regard the sun as feminine and so you know it's just like it's it just seems like we don't really yeah. uh, go there usually. Well, it's, it's also interesting because the English language doesn't have, um, you know, like masculine or feminine words versus in Spanish and other languages they do. So, like, I, I think it's interesting, like, learning Spanish to see certain words like, you know, montaña, which is mountain, and it's feminine. So, like, they consider mountains to be feminine and it's like one of those things that like is a kind of i guess like collective decision that kind of came about through language and it is interesting that just humans in general kind of like have this need to relate things to a to a gender you know that's that's interesting yeah i mean Dude, you, you get into those those gendered languages, and it's so strange. Like what they strange, do, yeah. what people decide is male. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, it's you know? weird. And yet, like we were talking about at the very beginning of this, the whole basis of the human sensory system is edge detection. It's like de- detecting the the boundaries between things. You know, one thing is separate from another i'm sure you've seen those those optical illusions where it's like somebody has where it's the same color gray but it looks way lighter when it's next to one yeah. color versus another right yeah and and so i mean i feel that way uh with my my masculinity and my femininity it's like they almost one they, they take to the fore at different moments depending on my position within a social molecule uh-huh yeah sure definitely uh, yeah, and just just speaking about like optical illusions, I had an interesting experience the other day where I was looking at this uh, windowed door, and it, it, there were crosses that were where all the windows were connected on this door, and there was like these very clear like white dots that were that were within the cross sections, mm-hmm. and they were illusions. You know, it's like it's. And they they weren't actually there, but I was seeing them. And that made me think about just this idea of like what actually exists and what doesn't. Like what like why do we validate certain things as being real and certain things as not being real? Because like phenomenologically, like I'm having that experience and it exists, but yet conceptually 
or scientifically you can look at that and say, well, no, that's just an optical illusion that doesn't exist. But I had the experience. So, and this happens a lot to me, like in psychedelic spaces also, where I'll sometimes have experiences that are uh, very, very visceral and real in the space of that experience happening. And then later on, I kind of look back on it in a more like rational analytic way. And I'm like, well, you know, that probably didn't really happen. That was probably just like projections of this and this. And it was just my mind creating this experience and, and whatever. But, you know, what, what is actually real, you know, is, is reality just the phenomena that we experience or is it the conceptual ideas that we have about our experiences you know like who's to say what like what's the authority for our experiences yeah well there's there's the uh the hallucination perception continuum and it's like maybe it's a mobius strip right like we don't really know where one ends and the other starts the best you can do is is like ask the people around you and then like find somebody who really wants you to be wrong and ask them Mm -hmm. you know like i i had so many um like right as right after i got out of college probably not coincidentally around the same time that i was experiencing a haunting in my house um i you know i went out with some friends to this lake by my school a few times over the course of a year and we had magic mushrooms and I had never seen anything that I felt like I couldn't tell whether it was real or not you know at that point like I had I had been taking mushrooms at the same place with these same people for years um, you know a couple times a year and this sequence of events we saw flying craft of some kind like or like creatures luminous like deep sea fish type stuff like clear things with lights on them and moving around what looked like totally and purposefully and uh it was such a challenge to find the edge of like the first time i fucked up completely and i was just like hey do you guys see that and they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you clearly, <laughs> you're seeing the same thing I am. Um, and then later, yeah. it was like, no, not at all. Total disagreement over what we experienced. And my friends were like, yeah, was, we were just tripping. I don't know. And I was like, no, we absolutely, you guys are fucking, you know, you're doubling back on your own experience. Like, you know what you saw. And so, like, the second time yeah. when I took a different group of friends out there and we suspected that this might happen again i was like we need to lay down some protocols you know for like we need to like bring the scientific method into this trip because we need to like not lead one another with our suggestions of what we think the other might be seeing but we need to find some way to agree on this um and it's it really is tricky the that that border i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean it's i think we can just kind of let our experiences exist without necessarily needing to put them into a category as like real or not real also (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you could just like from a scientific standpoint, it's still you can authentically say like, you know, person had experience of this and that's correct and you don't necessarily need to analyze that further. You can have these experiences and not necessarily need to then put it into some other kind of like conceptual framework of, okay, well, this experience was real or this experience was a hallucination and then our hallucinations, you know, it's real. And the rabbit hole goes pretty deep at that point. So just kind of resting in, okay, like, well, that happened. It's that's what I mean. That's what I've done in a lot of circumstances. It's mm. just been like, well, that happens, you know, or did it? <laughs> well, I mean, I had an experience of it happening. So, that's all I can say. Yeah. I can't say if it's like verifiably real in some kind of collective sense. I can just say that I had an experience of that thing occurring. That's it, really. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. So I have a little write up about the Black Madonna. If you'd want, I could yeah. read it to you. Okay. So this is what I wrote about the piece. There's a lot to say about the archetype of the Black Madonna. It is an archetype in many ways closely related to the Magdalene and even in some ways Kali. In ancient religions, the fire of truth has always been upheld by men and women both, making a perfect dance and balance of the masculine and feminine. But in our modern society, for a very long time, the role of truth bearer is one that has been granted authority to men only, and women of spiritual power have been stamped out. Once a perfect balance demonstrated by the tantric power of the union of Christ and Magdalene, the patriarchal dominion of church almost erased the symbol of the Magdalene, the high priestess, and with it everything she embodies. Under the foot of patriarchy, there is friction. As the potency of the feminine rises to acknowledgement once again and threatens to burst through the cracks of dominance like lava erupting out of a volcanic womb, the Black Madonna to me embodies this sacred wound, this shadow that is carried by the feminine in this day and age. It is powerful, and it is worth feeling threatened by, just as one can be awestruck by the force of the, t- of the tornado and the many destructive powers of our Mother Earth. But also this arising force is supremely necessary, the evisceration of so many oppressive and harmful dogmas so in need that I believe this is an archetype worthy of reverence. Behold the beautiful darkness of the Black Madonna. Yeah, dude. Right on. I would love to um, also share with people, I think I told you about this when we were having our box truck conversation at Burning Man, that that Matthew Fox wrote a really beautiful piece. The theologian Matthew Fox wrote a piece about the return of the, the Black Madonna in our time. And it seems like it really sets it all up, you know, that she's sort of the 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 patron saint of the you know what the the repressed and the trash in society you know the the refugees Uh the addicts you know the forgotten children you know that that all of these things are really coming to a fore right now because our world is so messy and they can't really Mm -hmm. be avoided and so it's like it's a good time it's a good time for her to be knocking on your art door and saying draw me bro (laughs) <laughs> yeah for sure so so what's what's uh what's next for you dude like what's what's on the horizon of your evolution 
Well, I'm not sure when this uh, podcast is going to be posted, but I'm having I'm working on an exhibition right now. It's my first solo exhibition in the United States. Uh, my first solo exhibition ever was last year while I was living in Bali. But uh, yeah, so I'm having a solo show at a gallery in Nevada City, California called Elixart, which is also an elixir bar. And that show will be up um, throughout the whole of October. And there's going to be about 15 pieces in the show, originals and reproductions, uh, paintings, drawings, and digital work, as well as writing to accompany each of the paintings. So I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's a good – in a way, it's like a a retrospective because a lot of the work has been created over um, several years and yeah i'm excited about it i think it's going to be a really good show right on man well folks that's elixart in nevada city uh i would go to jake's facebook page or website or whatever and and find photos of the show i'm sure you'll be posting those you know i'm sure that you'll be well received out there your work is is rad dude and i'm i'm thanks man i'm glad we're friends me too well last question i have for you um also first of all where can people find your work um probably the best place is instagram my instagram is j cobran art and uh post pretty regularly on there i have a website it's uh cobranart.com and that has a pretty carefully curated portfolio of my work so i kind of like you know weed out the the lesser pieces and only keep the good ones up on there. And then on, uh, I have a Facebook page too. If you Google Jake Cobran art and design or not Google, but search it on Facebook, you should find it. Legit. Okay. Awesome. So do that people because his work is ultra sexy. And I guess my last question for you, I ask this, uh, every time I remember to ask this about a guest is if you're thinking about this, this show as, a conversation with the unborn then like what kind of message do you have for the future or what kind of question would you like to ask the people that you'll never get to meet hmm that's a that's that's an interesting question um I guess like you know relax and enjoy the ride is a pretty pretty good message and just rest in the mystery and let let the vast mystery of life unfold onto your experience i like it man thanks for being on the show yeah man my pleasure thanks for having me totally take care Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, an amazing collection of podcasts along with Third Eye Drops, Synchronicity Podcast, It's All Happening, The Astral Hustle. Be sure to go to mindpodnetwork.com and check it out. And if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Thanks again.